Well, our text this morning is taken from the book of Matthew. Uh, we are, if you're visiting with us, we're sort of in between series. We've completed a series on the book of Colossians, uh, and we're doing a few topical things. And then on September 11th, we're going to start our series on who is Jesus. Uh, but today we're going to look at the subject of fasting. So if you would, take your bulletin or you can turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. And we'll read verses 16 through 18. This is God's Word. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. We pray for us. Father in heaven, uh, we pray for help right now. Uh, I need help to preach clearly, and we all need help to listen and to hear uh, and then to go forth and to live in the way that your word calls us to. So we pray that you would meet with us uh, in our weakness and that you would strengthen us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, fasting. We're going to look at fasting this morning. This, this idea of going without food for a period of time. Now, I don't know what your experience has been with fasting, whether you've practiced it yourself whether you've even heard much teaching at all on this subject, I, I, I kind of doubt. Uh, I've I found that, for whatever reason, this isn't something that gets talked about uh, a whole lot in the church. And we don't really get it. Uh, my earliest memory of, of anybody talking about this was when I was a child. I was probably five or six years old. And I remember the preacher talking about this one Sunday. And we went home. And I honestly don't remember whether we skipped lunch that day, but I do remember there was a conversation about it. And I remember thinking the idea of voluntarily giving up a meal was the stupidest thing I'd ever heard in my life. Um, and you can see I, I still tend to live by that doctrine. I don't, I don't like to miss meals. Uh, the, the, my next memory of fasting was when I was in college and I was involved in the campus ministry. Uh, not RUF day, but I was in, involved in the campus ministry and they had this discipleship group and everybody a certain weekend in this discipleship group were going to engage in a time of uh, prayer and fasting and so we went to this this church early on Sunday morning and you go in a Sunday school room by yourself and you had to pray uh, for two hours by yourself and good grief I needed a smartphone that morning uh, back in the late 80s and early 90s because I was I was struggling with what to do with that two hours. Uh, and so we get out of there, and then later that day, we go and we all gather together in this sort of solemn convocation. We were supposed to write down one sin we're struggling with uh, on a piece of paper and then drop it in this barrel of fire, and I never sinned again. No. Um, <laughs> it, was, it felt really good, but it really wasn't very uh, helpful, although it was meant well. Uh, the next time I heard any, oh, oh, and then that night we went and pigged out at the pizza buffet. Like, oh, thank goodness we can eat again. The, the next time I remember hearing anything about fasting was actually in seminary. And I don't remember, honestly, a whole lot of talking, talk about it other than occasionally you'd hear about somebody who was doing this, some religious leader 
nobody I knew, but some religious leader who was doing a 40-day fast. Uh, and I remember thinking, there's a couple thoughts that went through my mind. One was, they're crazy. They're really crazy. The other thing that would go through my mind is, well, doesn't Jesus say you're not supposed to tell people you're doing it? And they just told everybody, so it's not working for them. Isn't it funny how we can get self-righteous about not doing the spiritual thing? Like, I'm all self-righteous because this guy's fasting for 40 days and, and telling everybody when I wasn't even thinking about doing it. Uh, the next time that, that fasting was kind of on my radar was after we had moved, and I don't remember how long, but after we had moved from Boone to South Carolina. And I was honestly going through a very rough spot physically with some health issues, uh, spiritually uh, and emotionally. But, you know, you're a pastor and you can't tell people that. Everything's got to always be okay. So you just kind of keep that to yourself. Uh, but during that time, I picked up uh, a little book from, uh, it's one of my favorite books on prayer from one of my seminary professors. It's called If God Already Knows Why Pray. And there's a chapter toward the back of that book on wrestling in prayer. Uh, and at the end of that chapter, on just two little pages, he talks about fasting. And this is what he said. <clears throat> a pastor in South Carolina who was encountering some opposition to the word decided he would combat the evident work of the evil one not only by prayer, but also by regular fasting. He and his wife noticed that very day, or within a few days of his fast, the same thing would always happen. There would be a knock on the door of his office, and someone would come in to tell him how God had either just saved them or worked very significantly in their life. This happened too often, often to be a coincidence. Uh, then he goes on to talk about this pastor's son who was giving them discipline problems at the time. And he said, so that they prayed and fasted. And that night, after the first time in weeks, they felt that they had seen a significant change in his attitude and toward the things of the Lord. They had discovered almost by accident the fact that closely related to this matter of wrestling and prayer is the discipline of fasting. Uh, and I was sort of at one of those kind of desperate places in life, and, and maybe you've been there yourself sometime, where you're just thinking, you know, I don't know what, but something's got to give. Something's really got to give in my situation. And so I gave it a shot. I said, well, why not? Let's, let's see if, if what there is to this. And it was probably the first time I had willingly uh, fasted in my whole life. And amazingly... Uh, it was either that day or the next day uh, I had this conversation with a friend uh, that really was the starting point of God pulling back some very dark clouds in my life and, and His grace really beginning to shine in. And it started not with Him taking care of physical needs necessarily, but it started with Him working on my soul and where I was spiritually at that time. That's where his work began. And, and, and he really drew me to seek him and to know him, to really seek that bread of life that J.R. talked about uh, last week when he was with us. Uh, since then, and especially since we started the church plant, uh, fasting has become a more regular part of my life. And I'm not standing up here saying, you know, some of y'all just read this text and you're going, oh, you shouldn't be talking about this. It's not going to work anymore. Um, when I say it's a more regular part of my life, I mean like maybe four times in two years. 
Um, and I'd have to say I don't really have the hang of it very well. Uh, often it starts well, and by dinner I'm just like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> and Susan knows this. She's like, are you going to eat? I'm like, no, I'm not eating with y'all. I'll eat at 8. All right? Okay. But, but I'm like, okay, i got to have something to eat. This, this is, and it, it's kind of become counterproductive uh, by that point. But the thing I've noticed is that the more times I've done it, the more sense it makes. Because you start out kind of going, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to get out of this. And I don't know how this works. But the more often I've tried it, the more sense it's made. And the more useful it's actually become for me having a sense uh, of God's pl- uh, presence and work in my life. Uh, now again, some of you are going, well, okay, you're not supposed to be talking about this. And, and, and we'll get to all of that uh, in a minute. But my one takeaway for you this morning, if you sort of check out right now for the rest of the sermon, my, my takeaway for you would be this. Uh, fasting is about you realizing how helpless you are to do life on your own. Fasting is about you realizing how helpless you are to do life on your own. And it's an aid to your crying out to God in prayer, saying to God, God, I need your presence in my life. I need you to show up in all your glory. I need you to work because I'm helpless. It's not something you take pride in. Uh, It's not something you glory in. But it's the cry of somebody who realizes their inability and their helplessness. And so they want to seek God's face. Uh, so, with all that said by way of introduction, uh, let's, let's look at this. We're going to look at what fasting is, uh, what the purpose of it is, the dangers of it. And then I want to ask the question, why don't we fast? Why don't we fast, okay? What is, what is fasting? Uh, there are all types of fasting. There are different religious groups that practice fasting. There's political fasting. Some people fast for health reasons. A lot of times you have to fast if you're going to have blood work done. But we're talking this morning about Christian fasting. And, and this is abstaining from food uh, for a period of time, usually 24 hours, uh, to seek God by meditating on His Word, uh, and by praying. Uh, you take the time you would normally devote to a meal and you simply use that time to seek God. Now, even at the very beginning here, let me give you a couple of practical uh, things about fasting, a couple of practical helps. <clears throat> normally when we think about fasting, we think, okay, I'm going to fast Wednesday and so I'll skip breakfast, lunch, and dinner and then I'll get to eat again Thursday morning. Uh, so you're missing three meals. John Piper suggests, instead of doing that, if you're going to fast Wednesday, start Tuesday night. In other words, eat your meal Tuesday night, say at 6, start fasting at 7, and fast until supper the next night. See what I'm saying? So you still got a 24-hour period, but it's not quite the strain on you because you're asleep for a good part of that time at the beginning, and then you're only actually missing two meals. So that's just sort of a, that's just one practical help for uh, as you as you think about this for some of you you know for medical reasons or whatever it may just not it may be something you just can't do uh, and it may mean you need to think about maybe fasting from something else uh, maybe there's a television show you have to watch every day or you spend an hour on Facebook every day and you just say you know what, I'm gonna I'm not gonna do that 
tomorrow or for this week. I'm going to fast from that. But generally speaking, uh, what the Bible talks about when it's talking about fasting is abstaining from food uh, for a period of 24 hours. So that's what it is. What's the purpose of it? What's it for? Well, I want you to go with me to a couple of texts. And if you have your Bible, you can turn to these. Uh, If not, I'll just read them. They're they're pretty short texts for us. The first one is in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Uh, You also might just jot these down and read these for yourselves later. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. God's people are under attack. So what are they going to do? Well, verse 3. Then Jehoshaphat, who's the king, then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. Alright, so they're under attack. He proclaims a fast. Verse 14, And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, uh, verse 15, And he said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, Thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid, and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Which is what they're acknowledging by their fast. And then what happens is the people who are going to attack Judah, they all attack each other instead. Uh, And then Jehoshaphat actually goes out there to see what's happened, and they're all, you know, they're killed and destroyed. And it takes them three days to recover all the plunder that they now have from the battlefield. Uh, Second text, Ezra, chapter 8, verse 21. Uh, Ezra is getting ready to lead God's people back to Jerusalem uh, from the exile. And this is what he says. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way, since we had told the king, the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. And again, it's this this humble reliance on God. Well, is it something you still do in the New Testament? Well, notice in our text, Jesus doesn't say, if you fast. He actually says, when you fast. And his disciples ask him about this in Matthew chapter 9, uh, verse 14. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Okay, Jesus' disciples aren't fasting at this time. And John's disciples are like, why why aren't y'all doing this? What's up with that? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guest mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. And Jesus, the bridegroom, uh, when he's gone, then you're going to fast, because you'll long for his returning. And then last text, uh, Acts 13, verse 1. Uh, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers... Uh, And then verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now what do you see in all of this? Uh, You see people saying, Father, we need you to work. 
We need you to act. There's, there's nothing we can do here to bring about our deliverance. We are, we are hopeless. We are helpless. We need the presence of Jesus. We need wisdom. You need to show us what course to take. We need you to go and change people's lives. We need you to change our lives because we're not able to do it. Uh, Mark chapter 9 uh, is the passage where Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration with Moses and Elijah. And we're actually going to look at this text later in the fall. But at, as he's up there, the disciples are going about doing their thing and they run into this one child who's possessed by a demon and they can't cast the demon out. And so Jesus uh, comes back down from the Mount of Transfiguration and he walks into this situation and he casts the demon out like it's nothing. I mean, it's as easy as me eating a Krispy Kreme donut. It's just like, it's just gone. The, the demon is gone. And the disciples are going, well, why couldn't we do that? What's going on there? Uh, and Jesus says that kind can come out only by fasting and prayer. Uh, and this is what one author said about that. Fasting is a way of bringing the powerful Christ down from the mountain of glory into our valley of helplessness to do the work we cannot accomplish. But we must keep this in mind. In proper fasting, the emphasis is never on our merits or our feelings as we fast, whether we should be solely concerned with the presence of the risen Christ. Andrew Murray says that prayer and fasting are like two hands. And I love this, I love this illustration. I've shared this with some of you before. When we pray... It is though we are reaching out and putting one hand on the mercy seat. Right, that was in the song earlier. Putting one hand on the mercy seat, the place that symbolized God's forgiving presence on the Ark of the Covenant. But when we fast, we take the other hand off of the legitimate things of this world and cast all earthly supports aside to put both hands on the mercy seat. God, I need you this much. I need you to act. Would you come into this situation? Would you come into our lives? Uh, would you bless us with your presence? Would you work? Would you provide for our needs? Would you expand your kingdom? Would you draw people to yourself? Would you build your church? And here's what happens. Very often, it's as God's people pray and wrestle and fast and persevere as they're taking hold of the mercy seat with both hands, it's at these times that God acts. Because it really does bring Him glory to act in these situations. When we can't claim any of the credit, but God has simply come and He's worked on behalf of His people in very powerful ways. Sometimes, Jesus talks about, then you will receive the reward here in Matthew 6. Sometimes the reward of fasting is that God shows up and He acts in powerful ways on behalf of His people and for the glory of His name. But I think there's something else going on as well in fasting. Uh, when we're desperately crying out to God to change our situations, God meets us and He says to us, you know what? What you really need whether I change this situation or not, what you really need is to know me. What you really need is to know me. And so John Piper writes, the reward we are to seek from the Father 
is not first or mainly the gifts of God, but God himself. What we're really to seek in fasting is a more intimate knowledge of God himself. And the reward is a renewed knowledge of the Father. A, a new taste for the things of God. And a, a lessening of the grip of the things of this world. They, they don't hold us as strongly. The taste we have for them, they don't taste as good as they once did anymore. We have more of a taste for the things of God. The worldly treasures don't seem so great as we are seeking and finding this treasure in God. See, in fasting, one of the things that happens is that you learn uh, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every mouth that proceeds, every, excuse me, by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. See, I, I think the way we think is, man, I need all of this. I need this, and I need this, and I need this, and I need this. But what we find, again, is that, Lord Jesus, you're the bread of life. You are the bread of life. You are the bread that I actually need. I need to eat the bread that you offer instead of feasting so often on the things of this world. I think there's, a, there's something of an appetite rewiring that goes on as you fast uh, and as you seek after God. God is sanctifying us. He's preparing us to be used by Him. Uh, in fasting, your heart's often revealed. Uh, Richard Foster said this about fasting. More than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. More than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that controls us because we cover up what's inside us with food and other things. And, and what he's saying is, is that all of us, right, even the skinny people, uh, all of us self-medicate with food to one degree or the other. It helps me to deal with boredom. Uh, it helps me to deal with pain. It helps me to deal with the difficulties of life in a fallen world. I can just make it to dinner time, all right? Then everything's okay and I get to eat again. I just kind of get to immerse myself in my little food salvation for a few moments. Fasting exposes that when you don't have that Savior to run to for the day. It exposes how much you really use food. Foster says, If pride controls me, it will be revealed in fasting. Anger, bitterness, jealousy, strife, fear will surface during fasting. At first we say, we're angry because we're hungry. And then the paraphrase, we realize we're angry because we're angry. That that's here I really am. And my crutch has been taken away from me. And now I'm mad. That's what's going on in my heart. The spirit of anger, the spirit of restlessness, is, it's been there the whole time. I've just been covering it up with food. And now I see it. He says, that, well, what do you do with that? He says, we rejoice in this knowledge. We rejoice in this knowledge because we know that healing is available through the power of Christ. In other words, you're seeing this about yourself, but in the midst of fasting, what are you doing? You're pursuing God and you're getting a new taste of the glory of the gospel and that Jesus has come to die for angry and restless people who cover up their anger and restlessness with food. See, if you, if you come out of fasting, patting yourself on the back, look how self-disciplined I am. Look how spiritual I am. And God have mercy on you. 
But if you come out of fasting saying, worse than I thought. I even sin in the middle of fasting. But God's greater than my sin. Then you're heading in the right direction. And you're starting to get it. Well, there's some dangers of this. This all sounds good, right? Uh, There's some dangers the text warns us of. Uh, From our text, we see that it's possible to do this like it's possible to do any spiritual discipline in in order uh, to be seen by other people. So Jesus cautions us not to call attention to ourselves while we're fasting. Now, I don't take that to mean you can't let anybody know you're fasting because just a few sentences before this, Jesus is talking about prayer. And he says, don't call attention to yourself when you pray. In fact, you need to go into your room and shut your door and the Father will see you and reward you. Jesus says that, but then, so that means Jesus doesn't pray in public, right? No, Jesus does pray in public. And so the point he's making of this is not that nobody can know. And you know, when somebody offers you that uh, donut or whatever, you, can't, you don't have to lie to them. All right? You can tell them why you don't want it. That's okay. Uh, but the point is, you're not doing it to be seen. And if you are doing it to be seen, that's a heart thing. If you are doing it to be seen, well, people are going to see you, and that's all the reward you're going to get out of it. Because you have to be careful with fasting. The point is that it's something that's to be between you and God. And so don't make a big deal about it. Try not to let other people know about it. Don't try to draw attention to yourselves. Um, But don't don't get superstitious about it. Uh, second thing um, a danger is that we can kind of we can and honestly I don't see this happening much but the danger is that we could actually begin to make this a rule for people to follow you've got to fast you need to quit eating for the next week then you'll be a super Christian then everything's going to start falling in line for you then God's going to like you and if you start thinking like that then you need to go back and read Colossians again because that's crazy talk If you approach fasting like it's some kind of magic bullet for you becoming holy, you're missing it again. You're missing it again. So be careful with fasting. Now, last thing. Why don't we do it? Right? And and maybe we all are are fasting. Maybe the whole church is fasting and none of us are telling each other. Um, but, but, But generally, I say, why don't we... Fast. Well, what is, we don't get it. Right? We don't talk about it, and so we're confused about it, and we don't know the, whether we should talk about it, and we just don't understand what's going on. So we don't get it. Um, hopefully, I've helped you with that some today. Uh, if not, John Piper has an excellent book called A Hunger for God that you might pick up. Or you might pick up, if you just want a couple of short, good pages if God already knows why I pray has those in it but we don't get it we don't get it so we don't do it Uh, sometimes I think we don't fast because we're cynical the same reason we don't pray one of the reasons we don't pray nothing's going to happen God's not going to respond to that I'm just going to be hungry for a day Uh, why would I do that Paul Miller in his book The Praying Life talks about what it means to follow Jesus out of cynicism. And he talks about this time in his life when 
he was going through a really dark period and he couldn't even pray other than to pray through Psalm 23. And for several weeks, all he would do is pray through Psalm 23 over and over and over. And he said what he learned in that was to quit focusing on the darkness around him and to start focusing on the shepherd. Because this is what the cynic does. The cynic looks at how wrong everything is and nothing's going to change. But the hopeful person instead learns to look at Jesus Christ. And so the cry in this is to, to use fasting to help you do that. To turn away from the things around you and simply look to the shepherd. Third reason we don't fast. This is one of those things we're not going to say out loud, but we tend to be very self-reliant people. If something's going to be done, i got to do it. Things are going to change, i got to change them. If my life's going to be different, i got to be more disciplined. And let me say this too. The thing that helps you to fast is not so much your self-discipline, it's realizing your poverty of spirit. The same thing that helps you to pray. When, when you realize how desperately you need God, then it's like, well, of course that's what I need to do. It's not something you have to force yourself to do any longer. It's like a baby crying for food. Um, but anyway, I, I, I digress. Um, we, we, we may not voice it, but I'm afraid that we're not praying people and we're not fasting people because we think it's up to us. And that I've got this, I can do this. It may be that you're not fasting because you're not hopeless enough yet. You're not hopeless enough yet. You haven't realized how broken you are yet. You haven't realized how broken the world around you is. And so you're not crying out to the Father. And then the last reason uh, we don't fast, or at least consider fasting, is we're content. We're sort of, sort of content with the world the way it is. And I think you ought to think real hard about that one. Uh, because I'm afraid sometimes what our lack of fasting says is that, you know, I, I don't really want the presence of the risen Christ in my life. I like the covering and the safety that religion and morality provide. I like knowing where I'm going to go when I die. But I also like the freedom to pursue my dreams. And see, what my lack of fasting reveals about me, I think what it revealed about me for many years, is what my real dreams were. What bread we're really seeking after. All right? it, it, it's saying something, isn't it? That what I really want is what I can buy, what I can possess, what I can do, what I can experience. And fasting says, Father, I can have all that. But if I don't have you, I don't have anything. I can have all that. But if I don't have you, I don't have anything. Let me just encourage you just to... I'm not trying to guilt you into doing this. Let me just encourage you to think about this. Because I think it's one of those things that's actually in the Bible a lot. But we just read past it really quickly. Uh, and go on to something that sounds easier. Well, let me encourage you to think about this. And I'll even ask you, if you would, maybe to pick a day... Uh, sometime between now and September 11th. That's kind of our big launch service for the fall. Pick a day sometime between now and then and pray and fast for Grace Presbyterian Church. That God would show up here. That he would draw people to himself. That he would build 
his church, that he would make this a place where people are rewired by the gospel of grace. And our fasting, what our fasting says is, God, we can't do this. And we're not going to take credit for this when it gets done. But we're seeking you and seeking your face and asking you to make yourself known amongst us in this place.